All right. Well, it is great to be in your living room. You might want to clean up a little bit. I'm just kidding. I don't know if anybody laughed at that. That's the one thing about jokes when you're doing this like this. It's like, did he just say my house was dirty? I don't know. So listen, we're getting ready to jump into have a little bit of a conversation here this morning. And I'm, I'm just grateful that you're tuning in. And this is our second live family cast. And I got to say thank you to Josh and thank you to Darren. Uh, we're here at the Taft Avenue location. And we would not be able to stream into your homes without those two that are keeping our sound moving forward and video. And so I'm grateful to them. I'm grateful for Jess and Rod coming in and hosting with us and just helping create a, a meaningful experience for us, regardless of where we are, uh, whether we're at home or whether we're uh, here in, in Northern Colorado or whether we're someplace else in the country, we're so glad or in the world, we're so glad to be together in this crazy, fun, different format in this, these difficult times. So listen, when I have a conversation today about selflessness, everybody's favorite topic, uh, hopefully we're going to do our best to not guilt you into anything. Uh, believe it or not, I'm actually not going to talk about doing more selfless things because that is a, a exercise in failure right there for most of us, right? So listen, if you're a talk notes kind of person, we have the talk notes that you can fill in and there's actually some discussion questions and you can go over to crossroadscolorado.com slash resources and grab that. You can download it if you want to take a look at it later on. But our anchor verse for this series of conversations that we're having is found in 1 Corinthians 13, 7. Now, if you're new to the broadcast, I am so thankful that you have tuned in. Maybe somebody shared a link with you and you thought, you know what, I'm gonna try church. And so you are jumping in and I'm grateful. Thank you for being with us today. Uh, and listen, there is no, prior Bible experience, church experience. Uh, I hope that you find your time uh, with us meaningful today. And all of our verses that we're going to read are going to come up here. And uh, and if you're new to Bible study, I want to encourage you on your journey that, uh, hey, the Bible can be complex and difficult, but we're actually here as a community just trying to live out this very simple truth to love our neighbor as ourself. That is what everything is about. That's what Jesus was about. That's the way we know how to love God is to love our neighbor. And so that's, that's what we're talking about. That's what we're trying to live into as a faith community. And uh, you are welcome to be a part of that and grow wherever you are. So, so it's really good. So this series we've been doing is called uh, The Family Practice, where we've been exploring ways to survive the ones we're stuck with. Um, for those of us that are fortunate enough to be stuck with people, because there are a lot of people that are not, right? And so while we are tongue in cheek with that, we also recognize that it, it is a privilege to actually be stuck with people in this, uh, in this season. So I asked our anchors today, our co-anchors here, to bring something with them that they would have a hard time sharing with me. So what, what did you bring, uh, Rod, that you'd have a hard time sharing with me? So what I brought was a book of any type. I do of not, any type. Yeah, any type. But this particular book is uh, <laughs> Leading with the Heart by Coach Mike Krzyzewski. And the reason why it's in a Ziploc bag is, the reason why I have a hard time letting people borrow my books is I like to keep them brand new. So this is a book that's almost 20 years old. And if you look like it, it looks like it just came right off the shelf, even though it's been read. I would, I would touch it, but COVID and it yes. feels like it's a very important thing to you. So I'm not going, but it does look like it hasn't even been touched. Yes. And when I do begrudgingly have to let someone borrow, I put it in this plastic bag. And I think this says everything that needs to be said. You keep huh? it in the bag. You hand it to I him in it the to bag. Like that. That's so fascinating. Yeah. How about you, Jess? What would you have a difficult um, time sharing with me? What I brought is my digital food scale. <laughs> Because this is part of my structure and discipline daily. I weigh and measure three meals a day. 
everything that goes in my mouth, it's... Not letting anybody touch that. Yeah, right. It's, Nobody. And part of that structure gives me peace. So that's part yeah, of it. So go. if you want a digital food skill, I'm happy to buy you one, but there's no You're time to loan you one in between meals. So what I've learned is that if, if you know Rod, Kaya, and he's ever let you borrow a book, he trusts you. Or I was very, I was guilted, in. guilted into it. Guilted into it. It was, it was not out of a pure no, motivation, no, right? No. But we've all experienced the good vibes of selfless people. Selfless people are attractive. Selfless people, you want to be around them. You just feel like, man, they would do anything for you. It almost like it flows naturally uh, out of them. And, and a lot of us too, we also recognize the struggle to do selfless things, to yeah. act selflessly, to give the book over, right? Um, <laughs> to let someone borrow something, to give up our time to help them move, right? We think to ourselves, well, what if they ruin it? What if they spill coffee on the book? Or what if they drop the scale, right? We, we think about that stuff because this are things. And we think this is my only Saturday. I'm not helping anybody move. Why would I do that? I only get one of these, right? Uh, and so we, we also know that there is a struggle inside of us to act selflessly. And like I said, I don't really want to spend our few moments this morning talking about how to get you to try and do selfless things, right? This isn't about six ways to do selfless acts. That type of you know, self-help spirituality just doesn't last. We're going to talk about that a little bit. Um, but I would like to talk about uh, the danger of that mentality for just a second. Like if we were to just focus on doing things, if we were to just focus on here, go do this every day, do something selfless every day, we're going to eventually fall into the trap of what I think a lot of immature religion does. It falls into a trap of moralism. Mm. Moralism is focused solely really on our behavior. How do I act morally? Now, the problem with moralism is it's a, it's, it's a no-win game for us when it comes to our spiritual health. Because if we function really well morally, then we get prideful. And we say, look at how, look at how selfless I am. I'm amazing at selflessness. I should do seminars on selflessness, <laughs> right? And, and all of a sudden, so pride sets in. And if we really struggle with selflessness, if we really struggle to act beyond ourselves, to act in a way that doesn't really take into consideration our prestige or our safety, if we struggle with that every time we wrestle with it, every time we feel like we fail, then what's gonna happen is we're gonna start beating ourselves up. We're gonna call ourselves terrible sinners. We're gonna think that God doesn't love us. We're gonna think that we're terrible human beings. And so we fall into these two polarities, which really are examples of us taking ourselves too seriously, uh, whether it's in the good that we do or in the bad that we do. And we don't live in the space of grace. We don't live in a flow with God who's present in everything, in all of our choices, who is growing us and shaping us, right? So I actually want to talk about the opposite of selflessness today, uh, which is not selfishness, right? I don't want to talk about, here's three things you can do to do more selfless things, but I want to try and talk about what does it mean to be transformed formed to become selflessness. And to do that, we have to get to the root, the exact opposite of being selflessness. And that is not selfishness, but it is actually ownership, my humble opinion. My humble opinion is that when we really want to get to the root of the issue, the oppositeness of being selfless or being selflessness is a spirit of ownership. Now, I know some of you are frantically trying to find how to change what Facebook channel you're on or to log off because you think, oh my gosh, this is the most un-American, un-Western. He's a communist. He's going to talk about against ownership. So let me just preface something. Uh, 
The act of owning something is not what I'm talking about. I am not talking about, uh, boy, the opposite of selfishness is when you buy something. That's not what I mean. Because then we're reducing ourselves to a system of, of behaviors and choices, right? What I'm actually getting at is what I'll call the spirit of ownership, right? The spirit of ownership that takes control of our way of thinking. It's a mindset that this is mine. I've worked really hard for it. I own it. I don't have to do anything with this, but what I want to do, whether it's my time, my talent, or my treasure. And here's the thing, a spirit of ownership produces some pretty negative, nasty fruit in our lives. It produces things like unhealthy entitlement and unhealthy attachment, which at the end of the day creates suffering. When we believe that we are entitled to things because we worked hard, because it's ours, I'm entitled to say yes or say no, to let you use this, to not let you use it, to give you my time, not give you my time. Or when we get so attached to something that we hold it as more valuable than the need of someone else, we produce suffering. Suffering in ourselves where we're wondering, man, how come I can't give up this? How come it's got this control over me? And we also perpetuate and produce suffering in others where there's a need, we have the means to meet it, but we choose not to because it's ours. We're attached to it. And this mindset, really any mindset that produces evil, I think the ancients would call demonic, right? I think the kind of religious language for that mentality, that way of thinking that almost has a life of its own is to call it demonic. Now, if you are new to the broadcast, you just tuned in, you say, oh, they seemed so normal. Now he's talking about demons, right? This seemed kind of fun. I, I mean, that guy who was from CSU made a lot of sense. And, and uh, what was going on over there, Jess? <laughs> She's like falling apart over there. I don't know what dropping things, right? But, but she's muted, so it's no big deal. You can't hear it, but it was just like a whole like tornado went through. But uh, you, you, you might be watching this and going, hey, they seem like normal people, right? They drop microphones. It's not perfect. They don't share stuff, right? And now all of a sudden, this guy's talking about demons, right? Does he think there's a demon around every corner? Uh, the short answer to that question is no. I don't think there's a demon around every corner, especially the way that demons get portrayed and thought about uh, where you end up you know, walking backwards on your hands and feet or crawling up and down walls. Uh, and there has to be some weird kind of, you know, religious ritual to cast you out. Uh, you have supernatural powers. That's the great stuff of cinema, right? And movies, and it captures our imagination, but it's really not, I think, what is behind that language, right? Mm -hmm. So I have to say though, at the end of the day, if I think about what Jesus would talk about demons, that there probably is a demon around every corner. It's just not the way we think of it in terms of gargoyles and, you know, uh, evil things with horns, but there are mindsets. There are mindsets around every corner that guide and direct the way we think about our world and the way we think about ourselves. Paul, in a letter that he wrote that we have in uh, the collection of writings called the Bible, in this letter to a group called Ephesians, he speaks about it this way. He says, we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world, and against evil spirits in the heavenly places, right? So this language that Paul would have understood that would have made perfect sense for him and his culture, the way that they uh, understood the world, it, it's pretty powerful. Like he recognizes my issue, my problem, my battle isn't with you, but I think he would say it's with the spirit behind the behavior that produces suffering, right? Paul knew the true enemy was a spirit, mm. 
right? It was a, we would call it a mindset, right? A way of thinking that produces destructive behavior, right? The ancients would call this, and oftentimes like demonic, right? That was the word that was used. And, 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 and we use different language today for I think the same idea, this kind of external pressure, almost a, a it, it can feel like this outside voice at times. And there's this sense of like, it's got a mind of its own that's driving and directing me. And Paul says, that's our real problem. And that's an incredibly enlightened place to live, is to say that my neighbor who drives me absolutely bananas for whatever reason, my, my issue isn't with them, but there's a spirit, there's a mindset, there's a fear, there's something behind that behavior. That's the real enemy, right? And so in that sense, yeah, I do think that we do have demonic, evil, suffering producing mindsets and, and kind of, we would think maybe in the word of spirituality that just sets in. And so when we he- read these types of phrases and, and hear this language in scripture, we shouldn't just dismiss it, right? We should recognize that there is a deeper truth behind it that's being expressed through language. And so Jesus actually talks about demons and their friends, which is very interesting and fascinating. In Matthew chapter 12, we have this great moment where Jesus is teaching and he's actually talking about problematic religion. He's talking about um, uh, really not truly being transformed and changed. And he tells this really strange story, gives a, an idea about how, how demons affect us, right? And uh, again, this is a story you're not gonna hear a lot of because it is very strange. But I think if we recognize when we talk about demons in this setting, we're talking about a mindset, a way of thinking that controls us, that controls the way we make our decisions, the way we interact with one another, right? So Jesus says, when an evil spirit leaves a person, so think of that evil spirit as a destructive mindset, a mindset that produces... (laughs) Now Rod's dropping stuff everywhere. It's so good. It's so good. I love it. So when an evil spirit, <laughs> now we get the white shot. And we, got the white shot. <laughs> we got the white shot. That was a water bottle, water right? Bottle, yep. Love it. It was, yep. a it was like a, a cantina over just bam. Yeah. It was funny. Okay. It's all good, right? <laughs> so Jesus, right? He's talking about this evil spirit, right? Think about a mindset, an evil spirit being a mindset that controls our behavior. He says, when it leaves a person, it goes into the desert. Now imagine a mindset leaving you through some type of a religious experience, we'll call it, right? Maybe uh, at some moment, the spirit of God speaks to you in some way. Now you might not have that language for it, but I believe that's what's ultimately happening. So a behavior, a thought process, uh, something that's underlying that's guiding you, an addiction, the way you see your spouse, the maybe some assumptions you make about your children's attitudes or behaviors, but something in you, you have a religious experience, you get the little goosebumps. You're like, whoa, I'm not thinking about this, right? That evil spirit leaves you and it goes out into the desert. Now this go out into the desert language would have been language that a lot of Jesus's audience would have understood. He was speaking to Jewish folks and there was a, a, a very, very high holy day called Yom Kippur. It's in the book of Leviticus chapter 16, where they would take a goat, put all the sins of Israel on it. And there was this ritual and they would send this goat out into the desert, right? So there was this imagery of evil things going out into the desert. And he says, you would send that spirit, it would leave you, it'd go out in the desert, it would seek rest, but it would find none, mm. right? And I think that just speaks to the persistence of suffering in our world, the, pers- the persistence of mindsets and attitudes that produce suffering. It says, it finds no rest. It says, I will return to the person I came from. So it returns and it doesn't find the home rearranged and filled with something else. It finds the home empty, 
right? It finds a home spacious, swept and in order, right? And Jesus is saying, this demon comes back, this evil spirit comes back, this mindset comes back and there hasn't been real transformation or change. It's just been like behavior modification almost. So there's all kinds of new room. The spirit finds seven other friends, <laughs> more evil than itself, and they all enter the person and live there, right? Now, this may seem foreign to us, this language, but it's describing something we've all experienced. We've all made a decision. Hey, that, that way of thinking about my children or my spouse or my friend, I have, I'm bringing a negative assumption. I'm not assuming positive towards them. And so that's got to go. And we, we kind of send it out and we just go, I'm going to try really hard. I'm going to try really, really hard to think good, positive, happy thoughts about them. Or I'm going to try really hard to be more selfless. But what happens is we don't have any real transformation. We don't fill it up with commitment to something else. And so we focus all of our time on what not to do. Well, what happens is life happens. Suffering happens. Something comes into our way and that mindset enters back into us. But only that mindset comes with its friends. And oftentimes its friends come with what we would call defense mechanisms, right? To justify our behavior or our sins. Now, again, when I use the word sin, don't go thinking moralistically about it. And behavior, I'm talking about mindsets that produce pain and suffering. So we have to then justify the mindset and say, well, you don't know what I've been through. It was really hard, right? We come up with our excuses to justify our behavior in this kind of way of thinking. So we're actually, like Jesus says, the person is worse off than before, right? They're worse off than before. And this will be the experience of this evil generation. Jesus was actually talking about his own work, that he was coming in, trying to cast out ways of thinking about religion and God. But here's the deal. If it doesn't set in, if there isn't true transformation, deep transformation, and you fill that void with something different, then it's going to go back. You're going to be worse off than you were, which is actually what happened in Jesus' day. And we find this idea that Jesus is actually trying to offer us complete freedom, not religious goosebumps. I love religious goosebumps. It's wonderful. We have these experiences. We sense God. But most of us, if we're not careful, we'll find ourselves codependent on gathering in a space like the one I'm sitting in so that we can get our weekly goosebumps and get us through this next week. But that is not what a life hidden in Christ looks like. This is not. It's a shallow understanding of what deep work God wants to do in our lives. And again, it's a wonderful moment when we experience God speaking to us, when we experience love transforming us, revealing a mindset that is demonic, revealing this thing that's producing suffering in us and the people around us. It's wonderful. But God wants to offer us complete freedom from that mindset, not just a simple religious experience that we become dependent upon. And Paul actually talks about this complete transformation in his letter to Romans. The way Paul would talk about it is he would say, don't copy the behavior and customs of this world. Why? The behaviors and customs of this world produce the suffering in this world. So he says, don't copy it. We're mimetic people. We see what happens around us and we copy it. Anthropologists have studied this. It's in our nature, right? It's why we're all wearing Crocs like me right? It's why we dress the same. We copy one another. And some produces suffering, some produce beautiful footwear that are just very comfortable. Thank you, Colorado. But the reality <laughs> is we copy one another. We copy one another. And, and, and Paul says, don't do that. But it's not just enough to say, I'm not going to copy him. He says, let God transform you into a new person, not by changing the way you act, but changing the way you think. 
right? By digging into the mindsets that produce the suffering. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. God's will for our world is wholeness. It's peace. It's righteousness, peace, joy for all people, right? And so we can actually have a change of mindset that's filling our mind with something new, not just don't do this, but focusing in on what God wants us to do and what God wants to transform us. And here's what Paul's saying, and I think Jesus is talking about, is that transformation is a change of assets, not outfits, right? That the transformation that God wants to do in our lives is change our essence, the core of who we are. It's why I'm talking about being selflessness instead of doing selfless things, right? Behavior modification can happen in all types of ways. We can use shock therapy to change behavior, but that's not the point. The point is to live a transformed life, to have eyes to see and ears to hear, to walk away from the way this world speaks and to live in a different space it's being in the world and not of it, right? And so love, God, when we truly experience God, when we truly experience love, when we surrender ourselves fully to that, will transform our ownership mindset into a stewardship mindset. And that will free us to be selflessness, right? So in this context, right, the, the attitude that produces suffering of ownership the transformation that needs to take place is a new mindset, a new spirit. And that is a spirit of stewardship that says, I don't actually own anything. I simply, it's been entrusted to me to steward it for the sake of love, for the sake of peace, for the sake of wholeness in this world. And when I do that, all of a sudden I'm freed up from all the baggage that comes with ownership, all the baggage that comes with it's mine and here's what I need to do. And, and we, we have the weight of it and the possessive nature of it. Now we live open-handed. We say, well, it's not mine. It wasn't mine to begin with. It's not mine now. I live open-handedly towards what love would ask of me. So how do we daily have our minds transformed? Well, I wish there was a one, two, three mode of operating, but that form of spirituality doesn't work. There are no easy steps to a transformed life, but there are some things that we can do to begin to live into and fill our lives up with something that doesn't leave us empty so that when we're tempted back into a spirit of ownership, it actually comes with justification, right? So I think one of the things that we can do in our everyday shelter in place life is to develop awareness, to just accept the truth of this, that we develop an awareness of the dangers of the spirit of ownership, to wake up to the things that we used to possess, but now possess us, to wake up to that spirit of ownership that exists in our world. Awareness is the beginning of transformation. And so we keep our mind attuned. We tune our eyes, the spiritual eyes, into the, the spiritual reality that if I hold to a sense of ownership, boy, that's gonna produce a lot of pain and suffering in my life. And so we get woke, right? And we stay woke, right? By maintaining that constant awareness. And part of that is doing a bit of an inventory of the way we speak even, right? We say things like my house and my car and my computer, right? My church, we say things like my family. So we have these possessive pronouns that I'm encouraging us to make a shift. We're, we're gonna always use that language, but could our personal possessive pronouns point to responsibility and not ownership? Can we recognize when I say, well, this is my computer, which it's really not, it's owned by our church, which is a great <laughs> example. I'm a steward of this computer. It's my responsibility to care for it. I don't wanna put drinks next to it. I don't wanna drop it because it's not mine. I'm accountable for it, right? To bring that 
that responsibility to it as opposed to possession. And there's some powerful things that happen in this because now all of a sudden I can actually engage wisdom not rules, right? I don't have to live into this thing that says, well, nothing's my own. And so now I just have to, I have to be selfless. And so if I'm selfless, that means I got to let everybody borrow anything they ask for. Well, that's actually irresponsible at times, right? Rod, I mean, if I have a track record of having borrowed a book from you (laughs) and handed it back to you, ripped up with stains on it, it's actually a wise thing and a responsible yes. thing not to lend me your books. Absolutely. Right? You should feel perfectly happy, but there are things you could do instead of lending me a book. That doesn't get you off the hook for loving me, right? I could buy you the book. You could buy me the book, right? You could reward my bad behavior. <laughs> yeah. Right? By the way, Simon said he's glad it was in the water. It was a water bottle, not the book that dropped. That's right. Yeah, for your sanity, yeah, it's true, time. right? <laughs> but there's something crazy. Like we will turn into, if we focus on behavior, we'll do irresponsible things. So if I, if I have a, a car and I have a friend who has wrecked five cars in the last three days mm. and they say, hey, can I borrow your car? If I have a stewardship mentality, I say, absolutely not. <laughs> <laughs> because you have wrecked five cars in the last three days. I'll give you a ride. Where do you need to go? I'll still love this person and produce wholeness and serve them. Yeah. But I'm not living in moralistic behaviorism that says, well, if I, if I say no to you, then that makes me a, a selfish person. Well, it's not true. There's wisdom in that. And that's what it means to be transformed. Now I'm living, being led by the spirit of God, not being led by some strange way of thinking that says, well, if I don't let this person who's gonna destroy my vehicle borrow it, now I'm selfish. Well, that's not the case mm. because it's not my car. I have a responsibility to steward it well. Another simple thing that we can do is practice selflessness by writing a spiritual transfer of deed. Like sit down and and think of all your time, talents, and treasure and write it to Jesus. And I say, write that deed over to Jesus because Jesus was a physical person who walked on this earth, right? Uh, Jesus uh, was the embodiment, the enfleshment of God. It's what we call the incarnation, the enfleshment of love itself. And so I wanna turn all of these things over to Jesus and then, uh, and then recognize that he's then giving it back to me to steward. And it's a spiritual transfer because this isn't about like signing everything over to some church or religion or denomination or cult. That's not what this is about. It's just about recognizing a spiritual space of living. And it's, it's, it's an enlightened way of seeing all this stuff around me. So I can stay detached in a healthy way but I can also attach myself to these things because I want to be a wise steward. I want to be a wise steward of these things for the sake of love. And this matters. Like a lot of times we come and we listen to these things and I always, I just, you know, every week you're gonna hear me ask this question, why does it even matter? Because it doesn't matter. Why are we talking about it? Mm. But it does matter because it, it helps us to move into wisdom right? Wisdom, right? It helps us to move into a way of seeing the world differently, not in a behavior way, but recognizing my behavior flows out of deeper ways of thinking, some of which produce life and some of which produce suffering, right? And when we start to live into the ways that produce life, we start to end suffering. And by becoming selflessness, by recognizing the ownership problem, we can begin to build bridges of peace, right? This is a fractured world. We live in a world that's, that there is a lack of equity. There's a lack of justice. There's a lack of wholeness. Uh, there's a lack of uh, just a sense of something bigger than me. Uh, there's a lack of love between one another. We're guarded. But if I can start to live in and become this, what will flow out of me 
are wise practices that produce wholeness in the ones that I come into contact with. And it ultimately frees us from consumerism and materialism, which we all know is a significant issue in our lives. Everything around us is pushing us to own more, to be controlled by these things, that it's all about me. But boy, when I just recognize everything that I have is given to me uh, to be used for the sake of love, it's a lot harder for those things to start to take possession of me. So as we wrap up, we've got a great song uh, for you to just enjoy and listen to. If you wanna sing along, you can. As you consider what is God inviting you into today? I hope that God is inviting you into to stay connected here at Crossroads through your digital connect card, inviting you to be generous, continuing your giving to keep our ministries moving forward and the work that's being done together as the gathered church, but perhaps God is inviting you in to do that spiritual transfer of deed. Perhaps God is writing you in to take that inventory of the things in your life and to ask, has anything made the move from possession to possessor? Right? Is there anything that I own that really I would have a hard time uh, being selfless with? And it's a good, good opportunity to just take stock to just pause and say, okay, how can I allow the spirit to transform ownership into stewardship, right? This song that we have for you to reflect on, I love the lyric in the song that says, I give my whole life to honor this love. And that's really what stewardship is. It's handing over all of our life to the universe, to God, to Jesus, and saying, for the sake of love, I exist. And, and, and here's what's so amazing about God. God's like, I don't want it here. Take it, use it for my glory, meaning use it for love, use it for building wholeness in this world. And it transforms and shapes the way we see everything. Hey, thank you so much for being a part of this today. During this song, fill out your digital connect card, consider what God's inviting you into uh, and, uh, and hopefully allow your mind to be transformed and renewed and to see God transform this way of thinking about ownership into stewardship. If this is your first or second broadcast and you're kind of new to Crossroads, somebody sent you a link. Uh, while we can't connect in person, I would love to connect with you digitally. Right after the broadcast, we have a virtual meetup where I'll jump onto a Zoom, into a Zoom meeting with uh, some of our other staff. And we would just love to say hi and answer any questions you might have about our church. Our co-hosts are gonna be in that room as well. And so again, if you're new, jump in as we close out the broadcast. But until then, take a few moments, breathe a little bit, experience God's presence right where you are because where you are, God is.